0: Welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph
1: Politico and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, I noticed we uh, dodged the Russian sanction list once again. (laughs) Probably only a matter of time, right? They're running out of people to put on it. Yeah,
0: they got to get to us eventually.
1: They're working
0: the way up, let's say. I was going to say working the way down. They're working the way up. I mean I I don't have a lot of business interest in Russia but I mean one day I might
1: somewhere there's a filing cabinet with my picture in it true story but <laughs> it was a long time ago so I don't know if it's going to make a difference but it's been a long time since Scotty was followed by the KGB <laughs> it's true <laughs> one day I'll tell the story <laughs> <laughs>
0: You think you have it bad. Anyway, Yeah. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the, the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 6 City Councilor Dominique O'Rourke, who's going to join us to take a victory lap on the South End Community Center, finally moving forward, and then talk about the pending changes coming to the planning meeting next week around... That pesky comprehensive zoning bylaw review. And plus, uh, the speed bumps you love to hate are back on Downey Road, and we'll get Dominique's comment about that as well. Uh, that's going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including the discovery of another dead Indigenous woman in a Winnipeg landfill. That's five now. One man has been charged for killing four of them. So, you know whatever happened to protecting indigenous women and girls? I think we had a whole commission about it and everything. But first, uh, you know, some some stories are more serious than others, and, and this one is about a perfect phone call, but uh, not the one you're <laughs> thinking about. Uh, over in uh, Alberta, they are counting down to a provincial election, so naturally, it's the perfect time to have an ethics investigation. Premier Danielle Smith is facing one of those, although it's not exactly clear there is an ethics investigation going on because she's the one, again, another Trump move. She uh, admitted that the ethics um, commissioner is is investigating her. (laughs) Um, Again, going into an election, you probably don't want to be stacking up these Trump comparisons, but uh, we'll let that slide. Um, Because in this case, Danielle Smith's being accused of potential prosecutorial interference Around the case of a man named, and I wrote it down and now I can't find it, Arthur uh, Arthur Pawlowski, who is a street preacher, um, virulently anti-COVID measures, anti-vaccine, anti-LGBTQ+, so just an all-around great guy who Daniel Smith felt compelled to potentially interfere with the Crown prosecution of on his behalf. Because uh, they have some political leanings in common.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So just for some context, Pulowski Mm -hmm. is the one that blamed the Calgary floods on the, uh, he said it was God's punishment for homosexuality. Sure was. And that's just tip of the iceberg stuff. He's definitely a piece of work. So why would you want to align yourself with this guy? He's part of something called the Alberta Independence Party. Mm-hmm. And Smith was trying to say that well, this discussion was in relation to his whatever with the party, like his connections with that party. The connections go uh deeper than that though, because the uh let's call them a subgroup of similar let's convoy types. We we'll use the blanket term that we've used for sure. years. Now. Take back Alberta. Yeah. Are a subgroup of the UCP, very involved with the Coots um boots blockade convoy you name it and this is her guess cozying up to them to a degree i think they had a certain degree of responsibility to her getting the premier's job in the first place in this most recent round Mm -hmm. so she has to keep them sweet somehow smith says she welcomes this investigation i'm not so sure she does she always tries to put a that face on these things (laughs) uh but a smiling face, not that face, but a, you know, <laughs> trying to twist it. So it's like, oh, oh no, there's absolutely no problem using that. Her, her famous tone like, oh, no, everything's fine. It's not really fine, though, because it's really unusual for a premier to be is intertwined with a prosecution. In fact, it's, it's it's I don't know if it's unheard of, but it's not only is it weird that it's that she's doing it, but it's this group in particular. Mm hmm. Tons of charges, tons of, you know, it's all, and somehow she thought she could sway it at the top. But mm-hmm. I would like to know, did it ever come out who leaked the video phone call? Whatever it was, FaceTime, whatever was happening. Mm-hmm. It just seemed odd because I don't think, Pulaski's not happy with her. So this is a massive backfire in two ways. And it's like, okay, now you're being investigated. But it sounds like Pulaski doesn't, he doesn't have time for anyone now including the premier. Yeah. So She
0: apparently she ran for leadership basically on the premise that like, she could pardon these sorts of people who were arrested for, you know, COVID crimes and and quote marks, you know, people who would open um, even if lockdown measures were in place, you know, this was especially around sort of faith leaders and, and some of these churches who were, you know, virulently anti-vax, anti-COVID, uh, yeah, it, it's just, this has been a mess for a while and, and it's it's going to keep being a mess. This quote stuck out to me. This is somebody, an, anom- an anonymous MLA talking off the record. Uh, and they said, and I quote, I cannot even begin to comment on how she can keep stepping on our message like this time <laughs> after time. <laughs> So this is like somebody on the inside and it's not like some random staffer who, you know, is tired of dealing with like 10 phone calls an hour from the crazies. This is someone who's in the <laughs> in the legislative body, right? Um yeah. you know, you have Take Back Alberta. Uh, that's part of this too. And yeah, she she absolutely owes being premier right now to Take Back Alberta. Except now that she's looking down the barrel of a general election, that's a liability. You see all these polls that show that um, sort of rank and file center conservative types don't like take back Alberta, they think they're muddying um, any sort of fiscal policy message. Uh, now that we have uh, sort of more regular polling coming out, uh, Rachel Notley and the NDP are winning pretty much all over Calgary, at the exception of the southeast. It's like 47 42, and that's just barely outside the margin of error in that poll, but uh that's probably not the place you want to be going into an election and you're already down because you have an ethics investigation and you're already down because people see you as kind of like the kook that replaced jason kenney um you know people were already kind of dubious of her so yeah for her to come out and like it's all cool i mean yeah i'm getting an ethics ethics investigation but who hasn't been there really and and like the the excuse about <laughs> the excuse about Pulowski, right that you know well he was you will know, The leader of the alberta independence party so like obviously i felt i needed to step in because he's the leader of another political party first of all the alberta independence party doesn't even rank on any poll so i i don't understand that and second of all can we imagine a scenario where rachel notley was under arrest and daniel smith doing anything else but going back to that trial and roasting marshmallows off rachel notley's political career
1: every day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> every like, hour there'd be a tweet about it about yeah. how corrupt she was yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and the uh, speaking of twitter i mean the, the electioneering has already started i saw one i didn't watch it but in the feed was an obvious campaign style clip it was something to do with you'll never ever pay for health care mm-hmm. after she said a billion times that that's what she And this, this is, where do you draw the line? Is it her or is it the, she's, she's a bit rogue really, right? It's like, is this coming from the UCP or just her? Mm -hmm. She just waxes on about, oh, you know, it's, you should, you should have all the choices. You should be able to choose whatever you want. You should be able to pay for healthcare. It's Mm -hmm. like, so in other words, you're saying that then certain people will pay. That means dude, does everybody pay? So yeah, the, the election was supposed to be May 29th, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's already started. I don't know when the official declaration is going to be, but whether I'm not sure whether she's going to sideline the convoy people a bit and and ease off on that when the election's on. And that's possible. And of course, this will piss them off to no end. Oh, for sure. Uh, but I mean, and there is a way to do uh, This is going to sound odd. There is a way to do that. Like Polly, I've given them the Timbits is one thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's just obvious, blatant, the usual, right? Mm-hmm. That he he shows some kind of alignment or like, hey, I see you, mm-hmm. uh, but in, interfering in this case. And yeah, is it true that she actually thought she had the ability to pardon people as premier? Well, that's muddy, right? Because
0: she yeah. claims now that it was everyone who was listening to her that were confused between that and the powers of the u.s president who has like a unilateral right and i think some governors also have the right to pardon for oh yeah crimes as well yeah but, so a little too much law and order she thought she had the power to well i i, I the pardon I, from the governor for i wasn't able to find her exact quotes on it but yeah like i i almost distinctly remember her basically like if she didn't say it outright i don't think she said it outright but she basically inferred that like she would have the ability to like put these cases under the microphone because whether she believes it or not, or she's putting on a show, um, she has to pretend these are like wild miscarriages of justice and that these people were, you know, um, victims of a overly authoritarian and prescriptive state. And, you know, we can have a reasonable, rational debate about whether or not those, some of those charges went too far. I'm not saying about the coots border crossing blockade, uh, specifically, but, you know, whether, you know, ticketing people, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars for trying to open in the middle of the pandemic, you know, but at the end of the day people broke the law. You can go to court and fight a parking ticket, but the city can still write you a parking ticket. Mm. (laughs) And the mayor can pardon you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that was it. A lot of of it stemmed from the lockdown. Pulowski was just opening his church. There was some also on Twitter and other social media of him arguing with cops and that, but so in, in in some ways, he's almost a minor player in this, though, right? Because it mm. it's, 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 has become bigger than that now, and including Smith said she's going to sue the CBC over their comments about this Was somebody in the off, I guess. I
0: think she sent them a letter telling them to retract the reporting, which was last month. Now it's this month. And that doesn't seem likely like CBC stood. Stup- I think when we talked about this last uh, CBC said, well, we're standing by the reporting and we talked about how, well, you're not going to, you know put up reporting like that unless it's tight and then uh, it turns out it's tight
1: <laughs> yeah because I don't think the CBC report even mentioned her it said someone in her office sent the email to the crown yeah I think you're right prosecutor right so it's it's not I mean she could be someone in the office but it implies that it's somebody else mm-hmm. because if, if it's the premier
0: why not say it's the premier
1: yeah yeah but as, as with anything it's uh, the Fords used to do it all the time I'm gonna sue you and then nothing happens right well, yeah, there are all the times that Robin Doug said that in Toronto, Toronto Council. And it was like, you know, Daniel Dale, among others. And there's nothing, nothing came of it.
0: And it was also because it was the CBC and the CBC is a convenient punching bag. Ask yeah, well, that'll win them
1: some points. I mean,
0: yeah. Paul have does it every 10 minutes so like, <laughs> of the people, right? So We were talking about that before the show, groveling to Elon Musk to do something about the CBC and it's <laughs> unfair
1: liberal bias. Good oh, time. just make sure that it's, it's outlined that there's state media. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's like North Korea. That's probably state media. Russia, <laughs> state media. But where do you draw that line? Funded by the state or state media? I don't know. That's well,
0: a t- that's one for another day. I would imagine that's one. That's one for another day. Yeah. Yeah. No, the th- the thing with Smith though is that she has. And it's kind of the same gambit that a lot of people in the United States are discovering doesn't work well. You attack to the base, you attack to the fringe, it can get you so far. And it's going to be a real interesting thing to see if she can pivot. Because, like you said, who leaked it? Who recorded this and then leaked it? It wasn't her. This doesn't do her any favors. Um, and then I think about that MLA who's like, she keeps stepping on our message. Like, is this a, is this a thing? Like, is this self-sabotage? Is this, is this coming from within the house? I don't know, because I got to feel like there are probably a lot of people in the conservative party in Alberta who know where this story is going, know that if they throw themselves to the mercy of the fringe, it's going to go nowhere, let's say electable, um, at least for too long and you know maybe they're trying to nip it in the bud i mean that's purely you know speculation on my part but it you know it's it is interesting that that yeah we sort of get this at this time and you know we already kind of have these cracks where we're already going to reporters off the record or on back on deep background to to complain about the leader and she hasn't even been the leader for a full year she probably hasn't even been the leader for a full six months maybe a six months but yeah, this isn't good. Like, we're already having this infighting and this backbiting. And um, I would say that election is going to come or the election call is going to come next week or the week after. So within, like, you know, uh, seven to ten days of an election call, <laughs> we're already fighting each other and not, you know, the, the party that has almost three quarters support in the major piece on the provincial electoral board. It's not good.
1: Yeah, the fighting helps Sandy Pete, so... Oh, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Rachel Notley's the one roasting marshmallows today.
1: Um, yep, she's uh, she's on the list. Actually, <laughs> they all are. They're on the Russian list I mentioned off the top. I looked today.
0: So. Oh, yeah, had some time on our hands, didn't we? Um, we we're joking at the it, beginning. It we were joking at the beginning, but Scotty is very dedicated to getting on this banned Russia <laughs> list. It's it's, it's the sunshine
1: weird. list for uh, those of us that fall <laughs> in bunkers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Um glad that we got the jovialness out of the system because this is kind of less uh jovial. Um a woman named Linda Mary Beardy was found in a Winnipeg landfill last week. Um it turns out there's no immediate cause to suspect foul play, but um, people are wondering just how this happened. She is seen in the area of the uh, University of Manitoba. She is seen getting into a, uh, a, a dumpster, I guess is the the word we're looking for. Um, she is not seen getting out of it, and along comes a garbage truck that picks up the dumpster and empties it into the back. She's taken to the landfill, the truck empties, and there she is. We have another dead indigenous woman. This is the same landfill where a woman named uh, Morgan Harris was discovered last summer. Um, she apparently is the victim of an alleged serial killer um, by the name of uh, Jeremy Skebeki. Uh, he has alleged to have killed three other indigenous women, Mercedes uh, Marian and Rebecca Cantois, as well as an unidentified woman. Uh, that's simply being called Buffalo Woman. Uh, those three women have yet to be found. They believed that they are in a, a separate landfill in the north end of uh Winnipeg, which is a privately owned landfill. This this one where um Linda Beardy was found is in the south end, uh the Parade Road landfill. That's a municipally owned landfill. Um could have swore about four years ago we got a report that uh, you know, was supposed to help us deal with um missing and murdered indigenous women and here we have kind of both i mean linda wasn't missing for very long but you know how does someone crawl into a dumpster and then is found dead several hours later in a landfill that's i mean that that's it may not be sort of like a suspicious uh foul play death but i mean i it's been about a week since anyone's published anything about it uh, at least from my searching online, uh, I still have a lot of unanswered questions just about that. It, it seems kind of weird that it's fallen off the, the radar
1: in a week. Oh, absolutely. And it's the, the police were very quick on the not foul play. Like, yeah, yeah. The press conference was like, well, no, it wasn't foul play. It was consistent with being in a bin. But, yeah, I mean, you have to ask yourself what makes someone climb into bin on mm. their own volition unless you were looking for pans or something you know what i mean like there, mm. there there's, there's more to this like what what would make it, shelter maybe who knows like that that's the, the speculative part but it doesn't um it doesn't address the rest of it as well but it's it's definitely still a part of it too and what you're saying about that report is reveals that this is systemic which is a word that the rcmp and certain people don't like but it's it's mm. true mm-hmm because I thought you were you were talking about how this had dropped off uh, the radar. I follow uh, APTN and some other sites, and mm-hmm. we see it all the time in and, and my feed. It'll be this person is missing. Mm-hmm. Win- Winnipeg, a lot from Winnipeg, but de- definitely, uh, let's just say the prairies. But it'll be like a, a notice going like this: this person is missing. It's always usually young Indigenous women, generally, and countless like just all the time but there was what was the report in i think there was one even back in 2012 Mm -hmm. and it was to do with certain again certain investigating certain deaths and how badly the rcmp botched it Mm -hmm. Uh, i think there was one case where they were like oh the family's told oh she's probably off partying don't worry no she's actually dead Mm -hmm. so and there was that um abuse scandal out in prince george where the rcmp detachment there were there's allegations of sexual abuse of underage indigenous girls and women like they just you don't have to dig too deep to find these things out and again i'm not just laying it all in there we had to you know talked about the rcmp even last week yes of course mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but over and over again over the years there's there's nothing comes of the report that you mentioned i mentioned another report there it's just like there's these reports come out but does anything change? Mm. On top of all the other, the um, I was going to say the sociology of it, but the you know the the bigger questions in terms of poverty and addiction and all of those things that play into this as well that were mentioned in the uh, um, the twenty nineteen the missing and murdered Indigenous women report in twenty nineteen, right? Because mm-hmm. there's thousands of women mm-hmm. murdered and missing. It's mm-hmm. thousands. It's not just for, You know these four in Winnipeg specifically including Linda Beardy's five, uh, it's thousands unaccounted for. Mm -hmm. So what's the, I mean, this this is years and years now. It's like, it happens again. It's in the media. It disappears. We're talking about it now, but like, I keep wondering what, what is next? Like, does this just keep happening? Is it like shootings in America? Yeah. That's just keeps like, and this is a record for them this year. It's like, did you just what have you done it's like you know the old thoughts and prayers thing like oh and then the canadian version of the, we'll have a report we'll talk about it and uh you know that's that's,
0: that's, a, that's a that's a perfect analogy too because i mean what what is the reaction there's you know the fed's offered a half a million dollars to come up with like a strategy um how on how to explore the landfills and and to you know see if they could find the remains um i mean that's weak tea if you know you know little blonde haired white girl down the block is missing but you you know go to the community and say come up with a strategy for finding out how to find her and then we'll you know well then we'll like enact it like maybe next year you know would that be acceptable of course it wouldn't um you know you would shut down the town until that child was found and i, I mean and that should be the reaction for every child of course every missing person and it, it's it's brutal to sort of just see this you know well i mean what are people where are people going to put their garbage if we close down this landfill for a while so we can like have a proper um search for you know people who've been killed people who are loved um you know the one case of uh, uh, Mercedes uh Mirren, uh her her um family were talking about how she you know they marched with her and or she marched with them um in 2014, 2015 when it, when Tina Fontaine was found. And you know here here you have right. the situation. Tina Fontaine was supposed to be the red line and here we are again, you know, <clears throat> five more dead indigenous women and you know we're letting you know landfill politics get in the way of like doing a proper search and you know returning loved ones to their families i mean and again they have the guy in custody so um <laughs> why not like find out from him you know why get you know narrow it down maybe he doesn't know i don't know or he doesn't remember but it, it just seems like well we got him so it doesn't matter if, um you know what, what happens to the bodies and, you know, how much more garbage gets dumped on them. I mean, the whole thing is just shameful as as you're sort of talking out the... <laughs> as, I don't mean to laugh, but, you know, it's No, yeah, it's... As, as you're talking out the the full sort of measure of, of this incident that, you know, we're just going to let three women be tossed anonymously in a dump and, you know, maybe we'll get around to it. If you come up with a plan, we'll get around to it. it That, that just... That does not see, that seems to be the opposite of the spirit of that commission whose results, again, four years ago.
1: Yeah. And they were making every excuse to not go through the dump. I heard one was like, oh, it's full of asbestos. This is like, what are you doing? When it's full of asbestos. <laughs> Put the damn suit on <laughs> or send the robot or the x-ray or the scanner, or at least, at least try. It's not kryptonite. It's not- No. <laughs> no, at least at least there has to be, they would do it for other reasons. Like, like you said, right. Mm -hmm. And, but it's going back to the source of it. It's like, why do we feel it's all right as a society to throw people in the garbage? I think that the the little catchphrase that came out of the most recent March was that none of us belong in the trash. Mm -hmm. The fact that they even have to say that is like, what are we doing here? -hmm. Right. And it's not, maybe there's some, I don't know if it's fear or concern, but it's like, okay, what else are they going to find? Yeah, and I kept I mean, thinking about question. that. Um, um, uh, the, the murders in the in the uh, the district in Toronto, Bruce. Right. I want to say McAllister, It was uh, Macarthur. Macarthur, Macarthur. Yeah, who was burying people in like flower pots? It's it's along those lines, right? Or and, or in
0: Calgary, uh, the case of of richard mantha who's killed uh, you know killed um and assaulted at least three sex workers you know there there's another uh, oh yeah group.
1: just this week that was yeah yeah. yeah.
0: That's, i mean there's another group who are you know we we like to ignore and we're kind of on their own out there sex
1: workers absolutely but then then when you when you talk about it and say well this it's white supremacy racism misogyny there's levels of Mm anti-semitism in there in certain areas too right Mm -hmm. it's like you Mm -hmm. name all of that and it's like no no that's not really the issue and i happen to see this is a bit of a sidebar adam but i saw something this week i don't know if you've heard of this group that are that seem to be pushing residential school denial Mm -hmm. it's john k and his mom barbara this came up when i was when i was researching this topic as well Mm -hmm. They, they seem to be effectively wanting to deny the genocide that happened Mm-hmm. And this is coming from mainstream media people they're not fringe mm-hmm. so it's like it, this is an offshoot of this same topic it's like what makes you think that you need to do that
0: right and it's what all you, based on essentially accepted
1: fact about the residential schools in this country you're right, going to right. you're going to spend all this time and energy to say well it's not that bad mm-hmm. oh do you residential schools weren't that bad it's like where is that coming from right
0: and a lot of it comes from this semantic argument that it's like, oh, people were calling them mass graves and they weren't mass graves. They're just unmarked graves. And it's like, what? Like it doesn't matter that they were all like neatly buried in separate <laughs> graves. The point is that they were they went to school and were killed. <laughs> yeah. It's it's yeah, it's it's so ridiculous. There's still such a long way to go and it's it's too bad. Um before we go to break, I just wanted to mention this. Uh I mean, these these topics are heavy. And if you are uh, someone who is affected by the issue of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and two spirited people uh, and you need emotional assistance, there is a helpline you can call sponsored by the government of Canada. It's one 413 6649 one 413 6649 So if you know you feel com- uh, compelled to to vent um by all means call that number don't keep it to yourself uh because these are heavy issues at, uh, and hard to deal with for for all of us for at least for those of us who care and um with that i will uh throw it to our regular musical break and we will come back with uh an interview with dominique Rourke. you're listening to open source as well if you're on cfru 93.3 fm CFRU.ca, 12 campus and community and radio. Sees.
1: One family had their land stolen. The other was stolen from their land. The storm's Static noise transmission And that was number eight On the current CFRU chart The artist is Julian Taylor the Album Beyond the Reservoir And the song was Stolen Lands mm-hmm. Good song Little Woody Guthrie shade in there A little bit Yeah, he took takes, takes a shot At Woody Guthrie too, actually
0: Considering he stole his hat
1: On the album cover <laughs> Yeah
0: <laughs> Everything old is new uh, I suppose, um, everything old is new and, uh, even plans to build, uh, community centers in the South end. Hopefully we're, we are going forward this time. Um, Dominique O'Rourke certainly hopes so. She's the Ward 6 city councilor, one of them, uh, anyway. And, uh, she's going to talk to us about how it feels to finally get that going, uh, groundbreaking coming later this year. So stay tuned for that. And then we're going to pivot into talking about the, uh, council meeting next week, where the comprehensive zoning bylaw review will be discussed or more particularly some of the parking aspects of that review are going to be discussed. Uh, Dominique's probably going to be raising some uh, motions and you're going to hear about that. Plus uh, we talk about uh, meetings at Queens park and uh, getting our picture taken with premier Ford and uh, everybody's favorite. Those uh, the crazy speed enforcement or, or speed, uh, uh, measures on Downey Street, the cutouts and the bump outs and the speed bumps and all the bumps down that street everyone hates. But uh, yeah, something for everyone this week. So uh, we'll throw it to our interview with Dominique O'Rourke starting right now. Dominique O'Rourke, thank you so much for joining us once again.
2: Happy to be here, Adam.
0: Let's take a victory lap on the South End Community Center for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to make it a complete victory lap, but I, I'll start here at ask if if it was a surprise to you that um there seemed to be very little i guess friction given the amount of extra money being asked it it seemed like we just want to get going on this we're good to go like staff even left the door open like in a couple of extra days for people like are you sure you don't want to delegate on this anybody anybody so is, is that your point of view it's like we're just staff has made the case they've done their due diligence it's time to go. It's it's long past time to go. Is that where we're at?
2: Absolutely. So we've been including the South End Rec Center in development charges since the early 2000s. And you know, when I moved into my home, the realtor told us the Rec Center was coming soon. That was in 2000. We did not have children yet. They are now almost completely out of the house. So they're never going to get to use that. So the first meeting I went to when I was a young mom, the Rec, rec Center was going to be $26 million. Then it was going to be $42 million. Um, I, one of the reasons I ran for council again was to, you know, in 2018, was to make sure that we kept the rec center front and center because it had been leapfrogged by some other projects downtown. So the city is growing. It's not a South End facility, it's a city facility. We closed uh, Centennial Pool. Mm -hmm. I think in my second year, so around 2020, because there was a co-ownership there, there was lots of investment needed, and we expected the rec center to be open. So there's a need for that. We've been collecting development charges for it for more than 20 years. Uh, The big jump in the cost actually didn't come now with supply chain and labor, et cetera. The big jump in the price tag came when we went from about a 42 to a 60 or from 60 to 80. I can't remember which iteration it was. And that's for all the net zero building. Mm -hmm. So The city made a commitment to raise to zero. The city is encouraging businesses and individuals to do energy retrofit. So we have to do that. So that was really the big increase. And then uh what happened last March or last spring was we had an $80 million budget. We went to tender, all of the bids came back construction only at about 120 million each. So the the bids, whereas the total budget was meant to be construction and all the other costs, the architects, the equipment, all that other stuff. So that, that was a shocker. Mm -hmm. So staff shifted their approach to it instead of here, we'll give you the funding and you just go build it and call us when it's time to cut the ribbon. This is not how it really happens, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just a a caricature Mm -hmm. to a construction management model. And this way they looked at the architecture. They, they, you know, made a couple hallways narrower. They got rid of a rear courtyard. They found about, uh, $30 million in savings without changing any of the programming and without cutting back on any of the energy retrofits or not retrofits, but energy, uh, net zero features. So it's an accomplishment. And we are in a high inflation period. So every month that we don't build, that price is going up about a million Mm dollars so when finance staff sort of say in 2018 you guys said yes to 80 million dollars in today's dollars it's it's roughly in the 115 million dollar range we are back at 115 million for the building and all those other costs so nobody loves that price tag but we sure are shooting need the facility the city is growing and uh, it's time to build it. It won't be less expensive to postpone. So I'm thrilled that we're finally moving forward with it. And actually, you know, in the last strat plan, I was a really strong advocate of saying, of course, people want us to fix aging infrastructure. Of course, they they want us to do a lot of these things that are required for the municipality. At some point, they also want to walk into a new building. At some Mm. point, they also want to see really tangibly that it's easier to get swimming lessons for their kids right so um i can't wait for the groundbreaking it should be this fall uh with potential opening by 2025
0: i want to talk about the flip side of it too which is um and you were there at the the town hall that brought together all the various sports groups and there's kind of there was this kind of concern in the room that um if 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 the intention is to kind of have like high profile sort of High level amateur events i guess there are some concerns that some of the amenities in the south end rec center can't can't accommodate that and i guess from from your calculus um is it important to just sort of like have a community amenity like this and then we can worry about like adding all those other touches that can we can develop sports tourism later because as you said we're down a pool we need to get a we need to get another pool open so is 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 that kind of your your thinking on this it's like we, we we the community's been waiting long enough we need to get something for the community and then we can worry about the, the other piece of this
2: absolutely so this is the art of the possible right mm-hmm. we have budget we have the land and there's there's serious constraints on the size of that property right mm. we cannot add a quad if we add a quad arena which is easier for tournament tournaments uh, will we shut down a gym will we lose the pool? I mean, these are. this is the calculus, right? Sports groups were saying we would prefer a 50-meter pool, not a 25-meter pool. Totally get it. There's no way for this facility on this piece of land to accommodate the needs of all of the competitive sports groups. And way before my time on council, probably, probably when they started designing this original rec center, it is intended to be a community facility. So, if you have a super high-performing, like some cities have these extraordinary aquatic centers with Mm -hmm. diving and competitive pools and all those things, And, and they're great. But if you have that facility, is it full every weekend with competitors from other communities, right? So, this rec center is not meant to be necessarily a competitive facility. There is absolutely a lot of money to be made in sport tourism, we have an opportunity to look at that through the Parks and Rec Master Plan. We still have the Claremont Bay Secondary Plan um, as a greenfield to develop, right? There are other places in the city where perhaps we look at different types of facilities, um, you know. But we this facility will not be all things to all people. This facility mm. will help people register for swimming lessons, which is hard to do right now. You can go and do learn to skate. There is a walking track, you can go to volleyball or you know uh badminton. We need seniors to, you know, be active and not necessarily have to go to the north end of town. So this is for the community. This is not necessarily a competitive facility.
0: People Fair can enough.
2: compete
0: Fair there. <laughs> <laughs> but the design
2: <laughs> of this one was not A sport tourism facility and you will see that in you know the the capacity for for seating to Mm. watch a swim meet and that kind of stuff um and that's a decision that was made a long long time ago so there's no appetite to throw in the towel and start over on this piece of property
0: right let's shift to the the comprehensive zoning bylaw um that's coming back next week I, one of the things when I read it, I immediately noted is that uh, staff seemed to reject a lot of the concerns raised about parking. Um, I, I guess changing some of the rules around parking, especially in the intensification corridor, visitor parking standards. Um, there, you weren't the only one who was kind of insisted on that. There were more than a couple of uh, your colleagues who were too. So what happens next week? Like what's the sneak preview? But like what happens when uh, it comes time to make a decision or what do you think is going to happen?
2: Well let me back up and first say why we're doing the comprehensive zoning bylaw review. We have not done one since you know the 1990s so it's been 30 yep. years. And the zoning bylaw what it does it has rules for what you can do on your own property, right? You cannot put a pool in your front yard. You cannot build a super tall fence in your front front yard. You know, uh, if you live on a corner, you have to have concerns around sight lines and those types of things. So these are things that, you know, kind of regulate how we live together. And, and everyone, you know, nobody likes to have their property regulated until the neighbor builds something way too close to your property line. Right. Right. So <laughs> it, it, so it will do a lot of good things. Where I am, we still have land that is zoned Puslinch agricultural. So if a developer wants to build on it, they have to come to council just to get the, the label changed. Right. There will be right. a lot of pre-zoning. So a developer uh, will it will reduce the number of times they have to come to council or the number of zoning changes they might have to request. That's good. It will bring us up to date on a lot of accessibility requirements, particularly for parking. Uh, it will introduce things like, uh, you know, the requirement for electrical parking, or, you know, or, um, at least conduits and that kind of stuff. Um, so a lot of those things are very good. Uh, where I am concerned, where and I think it's premature, is there is a request to uh, reduce the amount of minimum parking that is required by a developer when they build a new apartment building, uh, in particular uh, any, everywhere in the city, but then to a greater extent in the intensification corridor. Mm-hmm. And the theory is, and and the future vision is, people will shift to transit and active transportation, and I hope that's the case. Okay. Well, we are going to invest a quarter billion dollars, at least, over the next 10 years in transit, and we expect a 2% modal shift. So even we don't really believe there's going to be a sudden shift overnight. So I think it's premature to reduce those parking minimums, given the cost of condos Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. homes that most homes have to income earners. Uh, there is no evidence of declining rates of vehicle ownership per household. We are seeing a lot of spillover parking in surrounding areas. And this isn't NIMBYism. This is also let's build what people need right now. The people who live in those apartments, because we get lots of emails and calls about people who were getting parking tickets because they were parking on the street. People who have no option. If you live in a building downtown and you don't have sufficient parking, you do have some municipal lots. Those mm-hmm. don't exist anywhere else in the city. And I should say the zoning bylaw applies not to downtown. The parking stuff is not downtown. Right. Um, and I looked up our census data. So the belief and the hope is, and the investment, there's significant investment behind the modal shift. But I looked at the 2021 census, and it showed 79.5% of Guelphites commute by car as a driver. Okay. That's up from 77% in 2016. Mm-hmm. So we're going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. The other thing about providing sufficient parking now and even visitor parking so that, you know, you might choose to live in the intensification corridor and decide you're going to bike. Does that mean every visitor to your home ever is going to have to also take transit or bike? Like, we need to build in some flexibility, both my parents at some point in their life needed PSWs. We need to make sure that there's somewhere for those folks to park, right? They are working their tails off trying to get to a number of clients. So we need to build in the buffer and then convert it later. Convert it to storage, convert it to more bike storage, but you can't do it the other way around. And there's also really, there's nothing to show that if developers build less parking, that they will pass along those savings. So I'm concerned- we see lots of developers come to council and they say, I don't need to provide outdoor amenity space. The city provides a park down the street. Right. I don't need to provide sufficient parking. The city, aka all of us, pay for transit and bike lanes. Well, you do need to provide those minimum amenities because there is an externality and that's overflow parking. So that's a, that's a concern of mine. There will be a motion definitely to not reduce the parking minimums uh, at all. Uh, to not reduce them in the intensification corridor. So I think you'll see a couple variations on that theme. And the other thing you're going to see around parking is uh, is the driveway width. So this has been a hot issue in Guelph since at least 2018, 2017. Currently, the bylaw is not being enforced because we were doing the work of the zoning bylaw. But if you live, uh, if your home has a single car garage, okay, And you widen your driveway, as many people do, with a little walkway or pathway. You see that all over the city, thousands of people will park two vehicles side by side in front of a single car garage. Under the current bylaw, it's not allowed. There's a Mm. maximum width for your driveway. And if you're thinking of widening your driveway, look up the bylaw, please. (laughs) One of the conversations that touched me the most when I was canvassing in, in 2018 was an older gentleman. And he said, I got a ticket for parking on my sidewalk because we, my wife and I work shifts. And he said, it's $600. He said, it's two weeks pay. Yeah. So there are people who are just getting by, they're just living their lives. And this makes it a little bit more convenient for them. So. Yes, we have to have a maximum driveway width to make sure you can still have a city tree and you still have some grass for drainage, like that's important for stormwater. But if you are allowed and the bylaw will allow you to have a 1.5 meter walkway next to your driveway, but the proposed bylaw says, but you can't park on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But what do I care if you park on it? <laughs> right? <laughs> the The drainage issue is the same. Yeah. And it's your property and it doesn't affect your tree, right? So if your, you know, your university student is home for the summer and you need a little extra space, right? People are just trying to live their lives. There's lots of people who now have an accessory apartment, even in, you know, in the basement or wherever. You have to provide one parking space for that. Like, let's let's at least acknowledge what the cost of living is that most households are going to have at least one vehicle, potentially two. And seriously, if you're going to allow them to have a walkway, I don't want to live in a nanny state that says you can't park on it. Mm -hmm. And I get that we don't want everybody's front lawn to look like a parking lot. Totally agree with that. There is a maximum width. Uh, So I would say to people, please check the zoning bylaw before you widen. I wish we could hold the driveway contractors to account when they exceed the bylaw and I wish we could require them to tell people what the the rules are because right, it's expensive right. when you have to tear it up or when you get a ticket. The other thing is if you have a garage and it's all full of stuff, that would be awesome if you could clear it out. Yeah. And, and yeah. so and so these two parking mm. issues Adam they're related, right? Because what happens when people live in an apartment and there's not enough parking? or they're told you can't park too wide they park on the street. Well people don't like that either. So then they contact the city and they say can you do a traffic study and can you remove the parking on my street? And there's lots and lots of streets in the city that are too narrow actually for the parking on both sides and at yeah. some point in the history of the city the rules changed. So they look it up and they say, "Oh, lo and behold, you're right. We'll take parking off one side of the street." Then people are in a real pickle, right? So if you have a garage, see if you can't use it for that. Um, but even that's a bit of a, a you know, I, I hear that a lot. What do people have in their garage? They've got garbage cans, sorry, waste bins waste in their garage. Yep. They've got sports equipment. They've got a stroller. Like there's no malice here in the people who need parking, right? Right. It's just people living their lives, getting around.
0: But it seems like we're all kind of working across purposes, like people have their expectations, developers have certain expectations about what people are going to be doing. The city has their set of expectations. Um, You know, it it seems like we're, I don't want to say we're living in different realities, I apply something kind of more serious, but you know, at least on this issue, right? Um, You know, people are going to park on the street if there's not enough parking people are going to have more than one car like i would like it if people had like you know one car and you know i can't i but i i had to accept a long time ago i can't control people but it seems like we we, this is this is the the problem is developers are selling one thing uh the the staff are selling another bylaw and then there's the people caught in the middle living in reality that's right yeah I thought you might have had something to add to that, but I I guess my analysis is correct.
2: So your analysis is correct. (laughs) What I would say is, I think we are trying to engineer Mm. for a future that has fewer cars. Right. I understand that. Yeah. But then you are expecting people who live in newer parts of the city to have a different transportation behavior than people in other parts of the city now. Right.
0: Right. right?
2: I think that shift is premature. So when, you know, I voted against the transportation master plan, Mm -hmm. because it only allows road widening for transit or active transportation. And I have intersections in my ward from Puss Lynch, where there's going to be a high school, and it's like a two lane arterial, right? And I think we should widen that, because it needs to be widened, not period. And, and somebody said to me, but counselor, don't you think that if you're sitting at a red light and the bus passes you by and the cyclist passes you by, that you would think, well, maybe I should take the bus or cycle? And I said, well, not if I'm going to Toronto. Or right. like it, the answer is, it depends. So I totally encourage people to, to walk or bike or take the bus. And I think if we make that pleasant and safe, I, I think people will make that shift. I think it's situational. I think it's potentially seasonal. And I think it's it's not today. Like, that's not what the data is saying. So I think that reducing, like creating an environment that makes it really hard to have one or more vehicles, I don't think is the right way to go. I think right. it creates a, a negative, um, you know, I, there's a negative impact on the community. So I let's convert them later.
0: I think that's right. Unfortunately, you know, there is that logical fallacy. If I mean, because if it worked, you wouldn't. I've been to enough council meetings to hear enough people say, well, there's an empty bus that goes past my house every hour. So it's, it it never occurs to someone, well, maybe I should get on the bus and then it's not empty, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Before we run out of time, I want to uh, address a couple of things. It's, it's spring. So that means some of the um, sort of the speed dampening measures are coming back to Downey road. Somebody has already posted on Reddit about it, complaining about, I guess, from from what I was looking it up as we were talking, but it, it's it seems from the way he was complaining about it is that it doesn't seem to work. That people are still speeding, hit the speed bumps, break, and um, I, I think there, I think, and I think it's probably something you hear a lot the, the general feeling that these measures, the the cutouts and all that aren't aren't terribly effective. Uh, is 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 are the measures the city taking on Downey working?
2: Well, the data will tell us, right. Okay here's what we know. We know that after about $360,000 of investment for the bump outs and everything pre-speed bump, Mm -hmm. everything before the speed bump, brought the speed down by one kilometer. So that was not a great return on investment. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. last piece was the speed bumps. Okay. And they do seem to be working. So yes, the posts have to come back, to separate the speed bumps and the bike lanes because, yes, people are going around them. You just said you wish you could control people. <laughs> the, the traffic calming is so polarizing mm-hmm. that when we were campaigning, you'd go to one house and they would say, we need more speed bumps at one house, and the next house would say, I hate those speed bumps. you got to take them out. Um, I got the worst emails of my entire term of counselor uh, about speed bumps and those things. So, um we will see because they are keeping the data Mm -hmm. so we will see uh what that does and then there's going to be a crosswalk now at downey and ptarmigan um and we will Mm. see you know the the reason adam those are there is because people are speeding they are speeding in school zones there are transport trucks in school zones so you are going to see permanent speed bumps on ptarmigan in front of the school, you're going to see them on Rickson. I know them off the top of my head for, for my ward, but you will see those. And then in 2023, I'm not sure when, we will start to see automated speed enforcement in community safety zones. Those are speed cameras. They will rotate. And, you know, we said people could use the garage. People could stop speeding. Right, and people right. don't like speeding on their street, but then they don't like to be slowed down on other people's streets. So let's just slow down, Right. There's a lot of pedestrians getting hit at intersections, a lot, because people are so eager to make their turn. So um, we really need to be mindful of that. Uh, I know the city is looking at how much that traffic calming costs, but it comes from somewhere. And Downey in particular is way before my time because I've got reports from 2014, 2013. There were a lot of consultations. It was extremely delayed because of the Niska Bridge and as a system, what was going to happen, right? So um, it's challenging. There's no question. There's a lot of volume on that road Um, and we will see what the data says.
0: Right, because I think, I think what people are kind of worried about is that nothing works. Um and then it just becomes an inconvenience or, or becomes a nuisance for people who are like trying to observe the speed limits and trying to drive carefully. That we're trying to get those those speed demons and um I guess driving everyone else crazy by making it feel like they're running a, a Mario Kart race on Downey Road.
2: <laughs> I've heard uh, that too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, before we wrap up, uh, you were at Queens park with, uh, mayor cam, you got to meet, uh, Doug Ford, uh, any, any light you can shine on, on that meeting? Uh, certainly there were smiling faces for the selfies, but, uh, I mean, how did, how, how did it go meeting the premier?
2: So, so those photos were actually, um, it was a bit by chance. So they were, they were walking in the hallway and mayor Guthrie and I were waiting Uh, We were there for a meeting with the Minister of Health, Sylvia Jones, who met with the Ontario big city mayors to talk about health care and homelessness. And that meeting went very well. So while we were waiting for that meeting, the doors of the government caucus room opened and a whole bunch of people came out. So uh, I said thank you to the Minister of Long-Term Care for funding our long-term care beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor mm-hmm. Guthrie asked the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing on the status of our official plan. So, I mean, this is in the hallway. This is a hello. It's nice to meet you. You have to respect the office. You have to respect the people voted um, for these folks and, and the, the office that they hold. And so the photos were really a surprise. And uh and you gotta you gotta respect the people's positions that they have a tough job and you got to thank them for uh, for the good things they're doing for your city.
0: A lot of business gets done in the hallways. People don't I think appreciate that.
2: Yeah I mean this was it was not planned yeah. you know this was how's your Tuesday going? So <laughs> you know what these are people who are trying to do their best for the province and um and we were there actually for the the meeting with the Minister of Health. Uh, which went very well.
0: Well, uh, that's good to hear. And uh, you're definitely one of the people doing your best. So, Dominique O'Rourke, thank you so much for all your time today and uh, giving us your best.
2: Thanks so much, Adam. (laughs) Take care.
0: And once again, that was Dominique O'Rourke. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for that council meeting next week, uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. I know I'll be there. No doubt. No doubts on that. Because I'm always there. Mm Mm-hmm it's practically my second home i should have (laughs) i should have an apartment there this seat reserved for yeah i should have a this seat reserved for i've made this argument for years there should be like a press club at city hall where we have like a little room with like vending machines and we we can Mm. put where we can put coffee on and where we can like do interviews and you know just just a little something like just give us a little hole give us a little broom closet somewhere like just
1: well, stand up and say i move that we, <laughs> we like <it. laughs> "I and they'll that. entertain it because you're there all the time right i mean I'm, he's our 13th guy <laughs> well technically cam's
0: the 13th guy so the 14th oh. i am all right anyway uh that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it you can stay connected to us on our website open sources we're on facebook at open sources newswire and we're on twitter at os underscore guelph you can listen to this show again Anytime, just download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, or you can check out my news and politics
1: site at GuelphPolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter, Facebook, and Mastodon. And if you're listening to us at our regular time on the FM, stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. And that's one of the many great programs you will find here on
0: CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources Guelph, and we will see you then.